Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Always a blessing for me to be here. We are continuing our Grace and Truth uh, series <clears throat> with the uh, accompanying banner. <laughs> Pretty amazing, huh? Um, and taking a whole year to talk through the idea of grace and truth, and the first six months uh, talking through and digging deep on grace. Grace is um, kind of a, uh, you know, it's a big theme, and we wanted to take time to uh, examine it, investigate it much more thoroughly than what you're norm- we normally do. And this, this month, each month is broken up months, or some of them are two-month series. Um, we're calling it the Grace Canon, and the word canon uh, is actually a collection of sacred writings. So the Bible is the canon of Christianity. Now, canon with three N's, C-A-N-N-O-N, is a big gun. Huh? Three N's, I know. <laughs> it's a big gun, right? And, uh, and, you know, for warfare. And so it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a theological pun, really. But the canon of Scripture is the weapon of our war, spiritual warfare. And February and March, so we're going through the grace canon, is looking through teachings and, and examples of grace in both the New and the Old Testament. Grace is absolutely essential uh, to Christianity. And it's, it's, it, in essence, is about grace. But it's often misunderstood. It really is. <clears throat> or actually, what most Christians do is they don't, they just, it's just another word, you know? Uh, and it's maybe it's an idea, but they never really uh, dig deep in, to understand what it means. Mark, this clicker is only working about one and three, so. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> we changed the clicker system, so. Uh, I, I, I have to be convinced it's going to work. So, Grace is at the center right now of a theological, actually not right now. Um, what I mean by that is throughout the centuries, throughout the history of the Christian church, uh, the idea of grace, understanding of grace has, has been fought over. All right? and, and it's kind of peaking right now in, in that there's many influences within the church that want to redefine grace. And there's a, especially in, uh, a lot of teachers, a lot of books written. I have people I know that have bought into this idea of hyper-grace, and, and, and it's really a misunderstanding of grace and, and thinking that because Jesus died on the cross and paid for all of our sins, it doesn't matter if you sin, and so go out and sin. And that's just such a misunderstanding of the message of grace. So we want to look to the Bible... <clears throat> Uh, to improve our understanding of grace. That's the purpose of this series. Let's, let's dig deep through Scripture and find uh, places where it teaches on grace. So today, I'm going to be talking about grace as uh, in the writings of John. I think uh, last week, Mark talked about grace from the writings of Paul. And a few weeks ago, Luke uh, and other teachers, we're, we've... Uh, in each, uh, for the New Testament, we're look, using different authors of the New Testament's take on grace and examples from their teaching. So I'm going to be uh, looking in the book of John. <clears throat> and uh, there's only actually two passages in all of John's writing where he mentions the word grace. Now, keep in mind, John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but also three letters uh, 
uh, the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. So in, in five books that, uh, of, the New, of the New Testament that John writes, only in two places does he use the word grace. And one is the uh, verse that we've been using as the template or the theme verse for the series, and that's John 1, 14 through 17, and we're just going to read it. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, John, that, that John is John the Baptist, bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John opens up his uh, story, his um, telling of the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry with this powerful statement about grace, about Jesus, and about truth. And then the only other place that we find John uh, referred to or used the term grace, although he he explains grace. The whole New Testament is about grace. But using this specific term is in the close of one of his letters, Second John, where he says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And I like how even there he, he inserts the idea that in truth. So this, this combination of grace and truth was really important to John. And the two times that he mentions grace, he includes with it the idea of truth and that both of them are uh, expressions of the fulfillment of who Jesus is. So what I'm going to do, unlike uh, what like Graham did in Luke, where he just went through the book and shared different examples, I'm just going to take this one verse, or this one passage in, in chapter 1 of John, and exegete it. Just go through it, and, and let's just... Uh, let's see what it actually says and, and kind of read through it slowly and talk, talk through the, the words. So <clears throat> the first verse is 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, keep in mind, uh, <clears throat> uh, this is John writing. And I don't know if you're familiar, how familiar you may be with uh, the authors of the New Testament and how it was written, but there's four Gospels. They all tell the same story, the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, okay, because they're very similar. In fact, um, theologians, people who study these things, are pretty convinced that... uh, uh, one of those three was written, and then the authors of the other two had that first copy on hand when they wrote their version, and they kind of filled in places that the original author may have skipped over, or they rearranged the stories to emphasize certain parts. Most people think Mark was written first. Um, I kind of lean toward Matthew, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we don't really know. Yeah, but it's pretty obvious because there's, there are certain sections that are verbatim, word for word, exactly the same. All right? And uh, in our day, when you write a historical account of something, it's extremely important that you get it chron- chronologically in order. Right? And if you don't tell the story chronologically in order, then they, you're discredited. 
But that wasn't the right way, that wasn't the correct way, that wasn't the proper way to write a story 2,000 years ago. When the Gospels were written, it was, the right way was to order the story or the events in a person's life to communicate or emphasize a particular theme. And so Matthew emphasizes uh, Jesus coming as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Jesus as king, uh, Mark is Jesus as man, Right, let me get these right. It's been a long time since I've reviewed these. <laughs> Each one has a different emphasis. And, uh, um, that, uh, and so those stories are kind of rearranged a little bit. And some stories are omitted and other stories are added. Not that they didn't happen or, or they may or made up. It's just that the, this person wanted to emphasize this one aspect. John's gospel is completely different than the first three. And it's actually because he wrote his many, many years later. In fact, it's likely he wrote it 20, maybe 30 years after the other Gospels were already written and and read throughout all the church. And by the time he wrote the Gospel, the church was pretty well established throughout much of uh, Asia and even up into Europe. Uh, John spent his later years in Ephesus in what is now Turkey. And so he's writing it the story to, uh, to expand the knowledge. And here is a mature, you know, the other guys wrote it, but they were still pretty young. Christianity was brand new. And so John is an older man writing out the story, and he's had time to really think it through. And he, even the language he uses is different. <clears throat> so he's very, very intentional with the word choices. So that it communicates and understand that, of course, uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. And, and, and we don't believe as Christians that God took control of the human body and used them as like a human typewriter. All right? <clears throat> that there are other religions that believe that. That's how their Scriptures were, were written, is that God took control and just, or dictated. No, God inspired John. It's an incarnational process. So we, there was, John was active in the writing, but God was active as well in a, in a unique, inspired way. So Scripture is unique and inspired, but it's also an expression of God using John's maturity, using John's gifting to communicate uh, the, the gospel in a deeper way than we see, or in a different way. So <clears throat> let's just, uh, I don't want to start. Push me if I slow down too much, all right? So here we have this, this word, the word word in the Greek is logos or lagos, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And it means word, okay? But it, it's more than that. It means something said. It means a message. But the emphasis of it is thought, reason, and logic. It's like the idea. It can mean just the word, but generally when, this, when logos is, there's other words for word uh, in the Greek, quite a few of them, but when they use logos, it's, that's the big word, that's the meaning, the idea. And so <clears throat> John starts out, in the beginning was the logos, that's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Wow. So he's using this very familiar Greek term. And John was writing primarily to a Greek or Gentile audience. And so by choosing that word that was intentional, he's getting everyone's attention. Because that word was also a philosophical idea in a very important Greek philosophy. 
um, that referred to an impersonal power sustaining and regulating the universe. All right? Logic and reason. Does that sound familiar? That logic and reason is this impersonal power that sustains and regulates the universe? If you had a bunch of scientists in the room, do you think that they'd all go, you know, they probably wouldn't say amen, would they? <clears throat> they would nod their head quietly because they're scientists. <laughs> like, of course. It's reason from the Renaissance, reason, Renaissance, um, there was a shift in Western thinking to where it wasn't mystery and uh, uh, miraculous that governed the universe, but reason. And it led to uh, Western thought and the idea and science. Um, and so this, I, but it goes back to the Greek thought. So when John chose that word, anyone getting his gospel and reading it, they picked up a copy of John and they weren't a Christian. The first few verses in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was God. I'm like, oh, that's a neat comparison. It's like the logic reason is like God. And, and, and he was right there from the beginning. And they would think he was t- talking about Greek philosophy until this verse. Because then he changes it. He says, and that logos became flesh. And so then the Greeks would go, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But that's exactly what happened. All right. John is saying Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the reason. Not just for the season, but Jesus is the reason. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's personal, not impersonal. That's the big shift. He's taking this familiar Greek idea that everyone, every, every educated person understood that, but shifted it and said it's a person, and that person was Jesus Christ, and he is powerful. And then let's just talk about the Hebrew thinking, because the world was dominated back then with Hebrew thought and Greek thought. John was a, a Hebrew, <clears throat> and so uh, this... Uh, Greek word, logos, was used by Hebrews when they translated the Old Testament into Greek. They would choose uh, the right uh, Greek word for, to translate to, that communicated the essence of, the, of what the Old Testament was saying. And we have this Greek translation called the Septuagint that helps us understand the Hebrew of the Old Testament. And so all through the Old Testament, in many places, when it came across the Hebrew word, word, the, they would change, translate it into Greek because it meant meaning, it meant reason, it meant the idea. And this passage is especially important, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, Deuteronomy is Moses retelling the story of God communicating uh, the, the law to the people of Israel and how God saved Israel, brought them out of slavery and, and, and delivered to them his word. So the whole of Deuteronomy, if you read it, it's 30, 35 chapters, it was actually a sermon. Right, so if you think I go long, you ain't heard nothing yet. All right. Uh, it was actually probably a collection of a series of sermons, but Moses spoke all of it. And, and this is how it uh, reads, uh, chapter 32. It says, And when Moses had finished, so this is the conclusion of speaking all these, all these words, they chose logos. So when Moses retold the law, they said, that's the logos. 
to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that you may be careful to do all the words of this Torah. And the Torah specifically, it's the Hebrew word for, for, for the, the, old, the first five books of the, the uh, Old Testament, the, the law, the given uh, uh, instructions from God. For it is no empty word, logos, for you, but your very life. So it's saying that the logos is your life. And by this logos, this word, you shall live long in the land, and you are going over the Jordan to possess it. And so for a Hebrew reading John, when he uses the Greek word logos, he's going to think it's talking about the law. And talking about what Moses, what God communicated through Moses. Because that's, the, that's how they read the, old, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so John is saying something really powerful here. Please listen. I'm going to say something a little different than you're used to. John is saying Jesus is the fullness of the Old Testament. Not just prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fullness of the whole story. The whole reason he is the embodiment of everything God has communicated and everything God is. That's a big, big point. That's a big idea. <clears throat> and this is how John starts his story of Jesus so that we really know who he's talking about. And he goes on, he says, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in this, there's this other idea that was really important to the Greeks. Or not uh, what was important to the Greeks in one way, uh, but it was really important to the Hebrew thought, was this idea of glory, which in the Hebrew thought in the Old Testament, it was the, the presence of God. In Hebrew, it's kabod. It's the weightiness, the heaviness of, of God coming down, the brilliance uh, of God shining forth. <clears throat> but John says the glory... Uh, is summed up in two aspects, that Jesus is the only begotten. Uh, and there's, so there's a unique and, um, uh, aspect that Jesus is the only one begotten of the Father, and that means equal to. All right? It's really important that we understand that Jesus is not just a son. He is the son. And we become sons and daughters through adoption, but Jesus eternally was and is and always will be God the Son. <clears throat> and, then, and the other aspect is full of grace and truth. That's an aspect of Jesus' glory that they beheld. That's an aspect of God's glory. And we're taking a whole year to kind of delve into what that means. So I'm not just going to sum it up with one little statement. But <laughs> uh, it does say full of. And... and Again, let's just zoom in on the words here because John chose these words very carefully. Full of means covered in every part, thoroughly permeated with, complete and perfect. And so Jesus was full of, he was completely covered in and permeated. That means like soaked in to the very depths, every cell of his body was saturated 
with grace and truth. And he was completely full of grace and truth. And he was the complete expression of grace. And he is the perfect expression of grace. John is saying that Jesus, who was the fullness of everything revealed in the Old Testament and the fullness of this idea of logos, reason, existence, is complete and perfect grace and truth. Existence equals grace and truth. God equals grace and truth. The whole of the Old Testament equals grace and truth. And it's all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't sometimes perfect grace and sometimes perfect truth. That's how we normally think. But that's not the way God is. Uh, What God is, He is completely, and He is always. There's no variation of shadow of turning. That's hard for us to understand because we're kind of like bipolar. You know what bipolar? Bipolar is like, you're either really manic and really excited and everything's great and I just so much energy or you're depressed and you have no energy and why even live, right? That's how humans kind of flip-flop because we have limited capacity. God can be completely full of grace and completely truthful without any contradiction. Uh, The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. That's that's the word of God, right? Is that true? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Luke's questioning my... Mark, is that scripture? Yes. All right. <laughs> he's not a living guy. Well, he's just alive. But it also says God is love. Right? So which is it? Is God angry? Or is he loving? Both. All the way, all the time. And for us, it's like, you know, when I'm really angry... There's not a lot of love going on. And when I'm in love mode, we get the angry in the freezer, right? But God can be all of both completely without any contradiction. Uh, and that's the one part of the wonder. That's why it's hard to understand God. But Jesus was that way too. And in order to understand grace, you need to understand that grace is not contradictory to truth. And that truth can't exist without grace. And grace can't exist without truth. And Jesus carried the fullness of them in his body. And that this was the glory that they beheld. That Jesus being the full expression of the Father and full of grace. And John opens up this idea, it opens up the story with God, uh, the universe equals Jesus equals grace and truth. This one theme, this one idea and my, and my challenge to you this morning is to rethink uh, uh, how you define grace and how you look at uh, really everything um, uh, through this lens. Grace and truth are building blocks of the universe. That's what he's saying here. If God, is, his essence is boiled down this grace and truth, and, and, and the universe, uh, logos, existence is grace and truth, Wow. Let me switch to another passage. <clears throat> this passage in John is very, very similar, and I think John had it in mind when he wrote it with Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai. 
This is when God gave Moses the law. All right? We're going to read it just in a second. Um, so even the giving of the law was an act of grace. And let me prove that to you in this passage. <clears throat> this is Exodus 33. This is when Moses, the, the, the first time he went up Mount Sinai and received the law, if you remember, as he's walking down the mountain, what did he hear? <clears throat> hmm? Yeah, there's a noise coming out of the camp. It's not the sound of war. It's the sound of, what is going on? What were they doing? Huh? They built a golden calf. And they were worshiping it. What did Moses do? He threw down the tablets. He broke the, all the laws before he even got off the mountain. Think about it. Yeah. And then, then so he's come. This is, this is Moses coming and getting uh, Law 2.0. All right. <laughs> like carbon copy. <laughs> so this is, now therefore, this is Moses talking with God. He says, therefore, I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. This is after. He'd received the law and broken it, and the Israelites had uh, reverted into idolatry, but he's going back up. God's invited him back up to receive again the law. And consider that this nation is your people. Moses is praying to God. And he said, God replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, He says, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. It's like, we don't want to go anywhere without your presence. For how will it be known that your people have found grace, grace in your sight? How? Through presence. Not through the law. They weren't unique because of the law. They were unique because of grace and presence. And the law was an expression of that. Except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. God said it, he actually says it a couple of times in this chapter of the section, that Moses found grace in God's sight. And as a response, God gave him and visited him. This is the next passage, just skipped down a little bit, and this is when it actually happened. <clears throat> uh, and Moses said, show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So when God proclaims his name in, in the Old Testament, that, that's a revelation of his character, who he is. This is his name. I will be gracious to you, and I will, uh, uh, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then the actual experience that Moses, uh, when he was hidden in the cleft, of the rock it says the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious." This is at the giving of the law, long suffering and abounding in goodness and grace and truth. Wow! 
<clears throat> so Moses beheld the glory, which was God's fullness of gra uh, grace and truth. So in Exodus and in John, God is boiled down into two words, grace and truth. And uh, that grace in becomes something much, much bigger. This is really what this whole, why we're taking so long and talking so much about grace is so that we get, uh, understand that grace is so much more than just what we experience from that grace, which is the unmerited favor. All right. Yeah, that's grace is unmerited favor, but that's what, that's how, what the part that we get out of God's graciousness, out of God's character. The grace is actually the a fundamental aspect of the nature of God, of the creator, and of all of his creation. And that grace is at the core, grace along with truth, is at the core of existence. So let me ask you a couple of questions. How might this change your idea of how you think about grace? If you're talking to a scientist and you ask them, what, what's at the core of ex existence? What might they say? What would Einstein say? Truth. Truth. Einstein would say truth. Power. Energy. Energy. Einstein's theory of relativity is basically everything is boiled down to energy. Mass is energy. Energy is mass. E equals mc squared is energy equals mass times the velocity squared. Okay? <clears throat> huh? <laughs> and so even matter is, is energy. It's truth. That's true. But he wouldn't say grace, would he? It's grace and truth. How might it change the way we think and behave? Because, you know, if, if everything I say doesn't change the way you behave and the way you think, I'm wa we're wasting our time here. I need to go back to school. Mark needs to train me Greek. <laughs> How's it Let me ask you another question. Maybe this will help. If you're not experiencing grace in an aspect of your life or in a relationship, do you have a relationship where it's, grace is strained? Huh? And, amen. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> willing to. Yeah, it's hard to find grace there with that person. What's missing? Truth. What else might be missing? Who's full of grace? Father, Jesus. So if Jesus was in that relationship, would there, would there be enough grace? So what do we need? That person to change? We need love. We need Jesus to come into that relationship because that's the only way that person's going to change. Or maybe it, you need to change. Or guess what? You both need to change. But Jesus doesn't need to change. So if, there, if there's a part of your life that you don't have grace, you're struggling in temptation or sin or doubt or fear, confusion, you're angry, you're upset, you can't communicate with someone because you're... You know, they're just so different than you, or they don't like you, or you don't like them. You need grace. You have problems in your life? You need grace as well as truth. It's not just get the idea right and everything will be right. That doesn't work without grace. 
Even I'm getting ahead of myself. For the law was given through Moses, last verse of this section, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a few more questions here. What is being compared in this verse? I'm going to teach you a little Bible study method. Is this a laser pointer? No. It doesn't, oh, this one works. So the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, if you read in the scripture, you want to go deeper, ask what is being compared and contrasted in this verse. So what is being compared and contrasted in this verse? Grace and truth compared to the law. Very good. <clears throat> what else is being compared and contrasted? Moses and Jesus. Very good. You guys are Bible scholars. <clears throat> uh, so this is law, grace, and truth, Moses and Jesus. How about the law and Moses and Jesus and grace and truth as two separate things being compared? Would you, would you say that? So would it be appropriate to say that in this passage, <clears throat> Moses represents the law and Jesus represents grace and truth? Yeah? Would you say that's, that's a comparison you make? Okay, what are some differences between Moses and Jesus? Jesus kept the law. Jesus kept the law. Good for you. That didn't come out last week. Good. Good. That's a very good observation. <laughs> good word, man. Jesus didn't break the law. Moses broke the law. What else? What else is different between Moses and Moses received? What, how's that? How about Jesus? How's that compared to Jesus? Yeah, very good. Moses received grace and truth from God, but uh, Jesus didn't have to receive it, did he? He was it. And so he gives us very good. That didn't come out last week, he did. Anything else? This is like you guys are bright. You guys are smart. You had good ideas. What are some differences between Moses and Jesus? What comes to mind? In what way? Moses had a hard time loving those people. Because God, these people you gave me are <laughs> stiff-necked and stubborn. <laughs> but Jesus is full of love. Where, where did Moses come from? Do you remember the story? Sorry, right. you can answer, except for Mark. He came from Egypt. Remember what happened? Did... He came from a basket. He came from a basket. No, he didn't come from a guy. It was a stork. So Moses was man. So Moses was born, wasn't he? We have the story of his birth. Jesus was born, but that wasn't his beginning. That was him taking on humanity. Jesus is eternal. Right? Well, how about the other end of life? What happened to Moses in the end? He died and stayed dead. What about Jesus? Died and rose again. Now, how about the law then? The law had a beginning and an end. But grace and truth no beginning, no end. 
Isn't that good? That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> so this is what we got to think. This is, this is John saying, guys, get this in your brain. This is how much bigger it is. Okay, the law is true, but it's not truth. Because you can't see the fullness without Jesus. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you need to read it with the lens, the glasses of Jesus over your eyes so that you see in the law, you see throughout the, all the stories of the Old Testament how Jesus is being uh, revealed and how grace is actually there all the way through the Old Testament. All right? Uh, through Jesus, we see that even in the law, there is grace. <clears throat> okay, I'm trying to wrap this up. Uh, the Bible says that through the law, no one was ever made right by God uh, by obeying the law. Not because the law wasn't true, but because no set of rules can work, can actually get right with God without the presence and the active force of grace. Grace is the only way God transforms us into his image because grace is the extension of God's character. It's God putting himself into us, enabling us to be changed into his image. The law was a tutor. It was just a schoolmaster. It was something to get us thinking the right way. But it's grace that comes and, and enables us to live the righteousness that's portrayed through the law. Right? Too often Christians think that we're saved by grace, but once you're saved, then you have to buckle down and just obey. All right? And then you think that, that if you don't obey, you're not accepted. But the reality is you're always accepted by grace. And you never get beyond that. And it's in understanding that that you're actually able to live free from the influence of the enemy and from sin. Grace is the only way in, and it's the only way to stay in. It's the only way to be accepted and to stay accepted. And it's the only way that God transforms us. And so trying to wrap all this up, all these big ideas. Uh, grace is the glory of God revealed. Grace is a building block of the universe, and just think about that. I believe that everything that exists, exists one of the spiritual building blocks. You know, it's made out of atoms and energy and mass, but really, it's underneath that, sustaining that is grace and truth. <clears throat> grace came before the law, was contained in the law, and continues after the law eternally, and it's grace, it's grace that changes and transforms us. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the fullness of grace and truth. And Lord, we stand before you like Moses stood before you on that mountain and say, Lord, if we've found grace in your sight, show us your glory. Send your presence to be with us. And I just want to declare over each of you here, Thus saith the Lord to you this morning. God wants you to hear these words as though he were speaking them. You have found grace. And I know you by name. God is not a respecter of persons. Moses, he didn't love Moses more than he loves you. And so he said it to Moses, he says it in his word, and he says it to you if you will receive it this morning. You have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And wherever you are, 
in whatever situation or circumstance or relationship, if you lack grace, call me and I will come and be the grace that you need. (coughs) Father, change us by the power of your persistent grace and cause us to reflect your image, to glow like, like Moses glowed when he came down from that mountain. Thank you so much for all that you've given us. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.